Every few months, it seems, there is a new food trend. Kale salads, sriracha everything, bacon everything. Though really, I'm not arguing with that one. Well, there's been one trend in restaurants and dining recently that taps into a certain idea of the South, a kind of rustic sensibility. And it's getting some folks up in arms. All of a sudden, like, people I didn't know were, like, tweeting to me either, you know, pro or con mason jars. Um, I think this was just right at the beginning of the whole thing, and I think I got sick of them about a year before everyone else did. You're listening to Gravy. 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 Stories about the changing American South through the foods we eat. We are a production of the Southern Foodways Alliance. I'm Tina Antolini. Today, a cultural history of the mason jar and an inquisition into its recent hype and popularity. What does the proliferation of mason jars say about us and about the South? From canning enthusiasts to a convenience store chain selling Slurpees in them, Gabe Bullard takes us in pursuit of the answer. Not long after we moved to Washington, D.C. this summer, my wife and I were out exploring, and we were lured into a restaurant that offered a winning combination of fried foods. Chicken and donuts. It was hot, so we ordered a couple drinks. Cheers. Cheers. Oh. It's a um, jar of tequila. Our drinks came in mason jars, the tall, narrow, quilted pattern kind my mom back in Illinois puts homemade jam in. The manager, Fritz Wood, had a mom who did that too. My parents were picklers, yes. Before pickling was cool, but yes. Yes, I've, I've always had mason jars in the house and would get jam for Christmas, which now I'd probably appreciate, but you know, back then it was jam and socks and no one likes that. I didn't ask, but it's a safe bet the jar my drink came in never held jam or pickles. What is up front about using jars in the restaurant? The menu even lists punch as coming in a jar. Uh, we think that here just kind of goes with our theme of home and comfort food, chicken, fried chicken and donuts. So I think a mason jar just kind of brings it back to that coming from grandma kind of feel. Straight Americana. The decor in the restaurant felt familiar. There were old-timey Edison light bulbs above the bar, the fried chicken was served in wire baskets, and the wood plank furniture matched the exposed brick walls. It felt like restaurants I ate at when I lived in Louisville, Kentucky. But the places it reminded me of were new too. They were designed to look old, designed to look more rural, more country than the city ever was. And as I finished my drink and watched the ice clink to the bottom of the jar, I wondered, did a place like this ever really exist in the past? I'm sure that using mason jars as drinking glasses isn't new. People have probably been doing it as long as they've been using the jars for canning, which is to say, since 1858. That's when John Landis Mason invented the now standard design. This made preserving foods at home a lot easier. And it's hard sometimes to imagine how important that was. For people who relied on food they grew, finding a way to make fruits and vegetables last through winter was a key to survival. A cupboard full of jars was an insurance policy. And when those jars are empty, well, why not drink out of them? It's just so convenient. The jars are thick, tough, and in a canner's kitchen, right there. But in the old days modern restaurants hearkened to, would anyone ever have served a drink in one? My family always had jars around, but when guests came over, the good glasses came out. Jars felt a little corn pone, a little cheap. But now, 
Jars are being sold not only as upscale glassware, but as decor. And not just for restaurants. Visit a houseware store, or just look on Pinterest or Etsy. You'll see mason jar vases, mason jar planters, mason jar sconces, snow globes, soap dispensers, mason jar lamps, mason jar picture frames, mason jar chandeliers, mason jar silverware holders, and of course, mugs and cups. One Pinterest user has instructions for engraving jars to say, I'm so fancy. It's hard to imagine anyone who uses it as a serious home canner concerned with survival. So if they're not left over from canning, where are all these non-canonical jars coming from? My name is Janine Moore, and I'm the Senior Brand Manager of Fresh Preserving at Jarden Home Brands. Jarden is a jar-making giant. The company sells jars under the names Golden Harvest, Kerr, and Ball. A quick word on the nomenclature here. You may be thinking, hey, what you call mason jars, I call ball jars. That's fine. We're talking about the same thing. We just differ on eponyms. The Ball brothers began making what they once called fruit jars in 1884. Now back to Janine Moore. In uh, 2014, we produced enough ball jars to be able to circle the entire planet. Jarden doesn't release exact sales figures, but there are some general trends they'll divulge. For instance, this equator of jars has been expanding. Moore says sales dropped off after World War II. This was in the age of better living through technology, with TV dinners, gelatin salads with shrimp in them, and fantasies of food in a pill. According to the University of Georgia, in 1944, about 70% of American households were canning fruit or vegetables. That dropped to about 30% in 1976 and stayed there until the early 2000s. There aren't recent numbers on home canning, but Jarden sales have been up in the last decade. There also isn't a reliable survey on why people are canning at home, but Moore believes home canners are rejecting the very things that led to the post-war drop. Really, in the last four or five years, seen a huge resurgence in this canning behavior, and a lot of people really interested in what we call DIY foods, the do-it-yourself kind of spirit. They're interested in the flavors that preserving their own foods can give. They were interested in the control and knowing what goes into the foods that you eat. Home canning's current renaissance does coincide with a greater general interest in food, health, and just understanding more about the things we consume. This explains part of the reasoning behind jars as glassware. Jarden's jars are all made in America, and for the quality, they're cheap. Back at the restaurant, Fritz Wood told me the finances behind the aesthetics are a welcome benefit. Jars are less expensive, more durable, and easier to replace than a lot of glassware. All these benefits are byproducts of the jar's original purpose. When you can to survive, there's no time for jars that aren't reusable and inexpensive. As long as the glass is intact, a canning jar can be reused indefinitely with new lids. Like knitting, raising chickens, or so many other hip DIY activities, canning is more hobby than necessity now. And Jarden tries to appeal to the hobbyist by making jars that are a bit less utilitarian. And so now we have a whole line of, of beautiful quilted crystal jelly jars. And the thing that we've really seen take off in the last three years has been our heritage collection. So we've been able to launch um, jars that were um, blue in the first year, two years ago, and then green last year, and this year is the purple um, mason jar. In the old days of jar making, changes in the sand used to make the glass led to a blue tint to jars. 
Blue jars are sought after by collectors. Moore says the Heritage Collection pays tribute to that. But as any observant restaurant goer or millennial would know, not all of Jarden's jars are used for canning. About 30% of our sales go to things like crafting or decor or decorations at wedding or baby showers as well. So if you take all the ball jars made last year and do as Moore says and line them up until they circle the globe, all the jars over the Atlantic are going to restaurants and Pinterest projects, not preservation. And Jarden encourages this. They make straws and sipping tops for jars. They cultivate a lively collection of non-standard uses on their Pinterest page. They even make jars that aren't suitable for canning at all, with handles and a different type of glass. But while not all jars can be used for canning, all of them are good for drinking. A few weeks ago, I was at my local farmer's market in the Mount Pleasant neighborhood. It was the typical urban farm scene. Kale was plentiful, breads were artisanal, and a string band played bluegrass standards while kids danced, eating locally made popsicles. While sampling a new type of duck sausage, I stood in line with one of the young professionals who increasingly seemed to be moving into this neighborhood, and I noticed she was holding something interesting. And so, uh, what are you carrying today? I am carrying a uh, made-in-the-USA ball mason jar in this great little Gotham textile leather sleeve. The woman, named Sarah Lewis, had her iced coffee in a leather-wrapped mason jar with a lid meant for sipping. She says she does use jars for canning, and she has some specialty jars, like the blue ones and jewel-cut ones. She also has some jars that aren't for canning. We have a ginormous one that has the pour spigot in it we use for infusing bourbon. Um, so, you know, make it sound even more like Pinterest <laughs> but, um... Ball doesn't sell a jar with a pour spigot, so Lewis's infuser likely came from another company. With the patent expired, anyone can use the mason jar design. And they do. Last year, 7-Eleven sold plastic mason jars as Slurpee cups. Mason jars with wine glass stems started appearing in stores a few years ago. And Aladdin, a company I remember for making the lunch boxes and thermoses I used as a kid, sells insulated plastic jars. It's safe to say you shouldn't can in any of these. They're strictly for consumption, and conspicuous consumption at that. 7-Eleven sold their jars with ironic hipster mustache straws. The stem jars are branded as, and I quote, redneck wine glasses. And Aladdin's plastic jars are part of a collection it calls Nostalgia. There's even a matching hashtag. With so many takeoffs and imitations, the mason jar is having a bit of an identity crisis. Both DIY-inspired millennials and doomsday preppers are big fans of the classic jar used for canning. Come-lately trendsters might want 7-Eleven cups. And the same company that makes redneck wine glasses makes mason jar soap dispensers, which are also a popular DIY project for fancy Pinterest folks, who you can't imagine ever proudly calling themselves rednecks, even ironically after a few mason jar margaritas. Though she facetiously calls herself a Pinterest <laughs> Lewis calls all this kitsch. I, it, it kind of smacks as um, 
a little bit classist when you see a bunch of upper middle class suburbanites and urbanites, you know, like playing tourist in rural American uh, culture. Seeking jars for their aesthetics and history is an old hobby. My dad has told me he used to hunt down old jars in the 60s and 70s and sell them to collectors. These collectors had their own magazines. Some still do. Old jars are Americana antiques. Having them on a shelf displays industrial ingenuity and reminds us of a past we don't have to live through anymore. But these new plastic jars trade on that authenticity. Whether for laughs or for a shortcut to something more real, these products take something useful and resell it as an idea only. Drinking from a jar says something. It might say, I make pickles at home. I don't have any clean glasses. Or even, I want a durable container that's made in America. And drinking from a replica of a mason jar says something too. It says, I'm nostalgic. Or rather, nostalgic. But what are jar drinkers nostalgic for? Apple butter that tastes better? Gathering so carefree and casual that it doesn't matter if you use the good glassware? How do you separate that from days when the crop might not last through winter? From days when selling homemade jam was a necessary source of income? If the resurgence of canning is tied to the rising interest in better-made food, then using mason jars for drinking in public is sort of like Instagram food porn. It's born of the same trend, but more about showing off taste than cultivating it. Drinking from a jar shouts a message loud and clear, but it whispers something too. Coming up, what that whispered message might be, and a high-profile mason jar-inspired Twitter feud. That's ahead. Here is the donor music. Lodge Manufacturing has operated in South Pittsburgh, Tennessee for over 100 years. Home cooks have long used their skillets to fry chicken and cook greens and bake cornbread. The key to the best skillet, besides the lodge name, is a good seasoning. And even though Lodge now sells pre-seasoned cookware, many still choose to season their own skillets. It's an art form for some, a badge of culinary achievement for others. With a seasoned lodge skillet, you'll make cornbread with a crispy golden crust. Enjoy a slice with some buttermilk or sweet tea. Whether you choose a glass or a mason jar for that beverage, use lodge for the skillet. Now, back to Gabe Bullard. Just like drinking out of jars isn't new, complaining about drinking out of jars has a proud, growing tradition. Cracks about authenticity-seeking jar toters have shown up on Gawker, The Onion, and the pages of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. In late December 2012, food critic John Kessler, who was then writing for the paper, went to a restaurant where the waitress served him water in a jar, which she poured out of a larger jar. You know, she had long fingers, but they were barely fitting around the jar. And I could see her sort of biting her lip and concentrating and like willing herself not to drop it on me as she poured the water. And I just thought, started thinking about like, I don't like drinking out of mason jars. All the cocktails came in them. And I put out a tweet later on that day saying if, you know, I never get another cocktail served in a mason jar, that would be fine. And immediately, um, Hugh Atchison responded. Atchison is a chef and restaurateur in Georgia, and an active tweeter. I can't 
can't remember what he said, but I think he said I was like a crotchety old man or something. And so I called it, yeah, crotchety old man speak, and it quickly spiraled down the uh, rabbit hole from there. That's Hugh Atchison. Something very pointed. He likes to stir up trouble on Twitter. You know, he's a, he's a, uh, he's a tweeter. It sounded grumpy. It sounded like somebody was, you know, I'm tired of rectangle plates. You know, I, I got kind of exasperated with him and perhaps got a little pedantic in my response. And John, John uh, had to use a word and the whole uh, back and forth, though, is beyond anybody's understanding of words, um, which was, uh, what was the word? It was metonymy. Metonymy is when an attribute is used as a name, like calling the Queen of England the Crown or the U.S. government the White House. So he called me out for being pedantic and, you know. So he used that and I called him a pedant. And then he, he concluded the conversation with saying, I'm done with this, chill out and stop calling people names. The exchange gained attention in food circles, and Kessler wrote about it in his column. He had touched a nerve. All of a sudden, like, people I didn't know were, like, tweeting to me either, you know, pro or con mason jars. They sent him links to things like mason jar measuring cups and baby bottles. Ha ha ha. I bet you would really want this, you know, mason jar cocktail shaker. And so I just think it became such a kind of a, uh, a meme almost. The kind of people who follow disputes between food writers and chefs in Georgia were sick of all the mason jar merchandise. And of these Pinterest assholes, to borrow Sarah Lewis's term, pretending to be rustic or authentic. But they didn't start it. Kessler's admitted pedantry was accurate. The mason jar is a metonym. It now represents a certain type of Southern restaurant. I think that was very key to the personality of a lot of influential Southern restaurants from four or five, six years ago. There were the mason jars, you know, sort of blackboard shout out to the farmers somewhere in the restaurant. You know, that kind of country meets industrial design element. And from there... The idea of Southerness, now fancified, was put in a jar and sealed. The contained became the container. And in this case, it was an actual container. Kessler compares it to pimento cheese, a simple dish, unpretentious, easy. But once it was discovered by wider audiences, it went from basic cheddar and off-the-shelf mayonnaise into a fine artisanal product, and it started showing up in everything until it became cliché. You know, I live right around the corner from a bakery that has a pimento cheese croissant. I remember at first it was like, oh my God, this is brilliant, I love it. And, you know, I can't remember the last time I got one. To Atchison, though, signifiers like fancy pimento cheese or mason jars aren't that significant. If anything, it's a red herring. Atchison argues that the jar is a distraction. It's superficial, like the food it's now associated with. And we've got plenty of things to pay attention to um, that are real issues in the restaurant world. And I honestly don't think serving something in a mason jar is, is one of those issues. The mason jar could be seen as either a hapless victim of modern hipness or a bit of flotsam in the wake of cultural appropriation. It's been around Southern food all along. First, people ate out of the jar at home. Then it was spotted in corn-pone, pre-civil rights, Southern-themed restaurants. It survived to be a staple of hip restaurants, and now it's back to the recycling bin of cool culture. Through this all, it's been a signifier. First of survival, then of southerness, then of a cool type of southerness, 
now as an uncool type. So maybe it's not right then to ascribe a characteristic to anyone using a jar. Maybe not everyone is trying to send a message. Maybe they have a private memory. Maybe they don't want to say anything at all. There might be a lot of weight on what the mason jar does or does not represent, but does that mean everyone has to carry it? I asked Atchison what the modern mason jar says. Uh, I think I'm saying that it doesn't really say that much. Um, my, my argument would be that it's not really a stance, um, that it's not really trying to evoke a certain um, mindset or anything. I'm saying that it's a vessel and it's, it's screaming, I contain liquid or substance, um, consume me. Anyone can pour whiskey into a piece from the Ball Heritage Collection, and anyone can claim that the jar makes it authentic. But for Atchison, who uses jars in one of his restaurants, it's not what you use to indicate authenticity, it's what you're presenting when you say something is authentically Southern. I think that we need to be really careful how we parse that sentence and how we, uh, uh, how we seek to define the Southern food that at least I'm interested in purporting to be awesome and really interesting. And that to me is a real true celebration of the cultures, the vast amounts of cultures that brought us the food of the agrarian South. And it's a coming to terms with uh, a lot of lies about what the new South means. And it's about coming to terms with this false pretense that Southern food is, you know, um, crap stuck between two donuts and sold, you know, as, as Southern woohoo, look at me food. You know, it's not that. It's uh, There's a rich tradition in Southern food that's extraordinarily complex. The symbol of pop southernization isn't a drink served in a mason jar, or even a plastic mason jar. The real metonym is the jar I saw at the farmer's market, a mass-produced jar that costs about a dollar wrapped in $40 of accessories. But if I'm going to discuss authenticity here, I should be honest. I'm drinking out of a jar right now as I record this. I have other glasses, but I like this one. My mom sent me jam in it. It feels right to drink from it, the same way it feels right to wear work boots or a chambray shirt to shop at the farmer's market, or to work in an office. And to be even more honest, I didn't just stumble into a place that was serving drinks out of mason jars. I was looking for it. I searched for mason jars on Yelp. It's not as easy to find as it once was. Jars have gone from a symbol of authenticity to parody. When something is mass-manufactured out of plastic and sold in gas stations, it's harder to pass off as unique. You can't define yourself with something that's ubiquitous. And Kessler and Atchison both say they've seen jars fade, too. I asked Kessler what's next. What will be the next way of consuming that goes from authentic to conspicuous? You know, I'm sort of thinking that there might be like sort of a communal, you know, trow and that people will just actually all get down on their hands and knees and drink their cocktails out of, you know, a, you know, instead of actually buying a cocktail, you buy a certain period of time just to stick your face in it. I think that's kind of, I mean, I, I hear the places in New York that do that, so. And maybe he was joking, but a few days later, I read in the paper that communal punch served only to groups is officially a thing. Gabe Bullard is a journalist and editor based in Washington, D.C. Back to drinking out of my jar. You can see some pictures of the wide variety of mason jar uses and some mason jar-inspired products 
on our website, southernfoodways.org gravy. Music for this episode was by Blue Dot Sessions, Poddington Bear, Lache Swing, and Driftwood Soldier. Our theme music is by Wendell Patrick, and our donor music is by Jazar. Coming up, a little taste of the next episode of Gravy. But first... The Southern Foodways Alliance just hosted its annual fall symposium in Oxford, Mississippi. It was such a good time. Almost 400 people gathered to explore Southern food and pop culture. Presentations ranged from a history of Mahalia Jackson's fried chicken venture to musings on the Cajun persona of Justin Wilson. There was poetry, there was music, and, of course, there was food. Boudin, kolaches, oyster hand pies, and chicken and dumplings. Oh, those chicken and dumplings. If this sounds like something you'd enjoy, visit the SFA website to view the symposium presentations. You can even become a member online and have a chance to go next year. That address? southernfoodways.org Coming up on Gravy, Louisiana's Cajun country has become a destination for a whole young generation of Nova Scotians. When they taste the Cajun food, they, uh, they needed lots of water, uh, a handkerchief to wipe the sweat off their brow. They couldn't believe how hot our food was while the rest of us were just steady eating this bowl of gumbo or crawfish etouffee or whatever. What food can show us about two places thousands of miles apart with a shared ancestry. That's coming up. You are listening to Gravy. I'm Tina Antolini for the Southern Foodways Alliance. And as you go about your daily life, please remember, make cornbread, not war. Twice a day.